Yesterday morning, the body of a transient was found in a boxcar in a siding near Salt Lake City. Preliminary DNA tests conclude he was killed by our creation by our film. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Mr. Lennox. Yeah. As the, um, well, the non-scientist amongst us, are you a talk share about what's going on here? Oh, I think so. You created a monster with some kind of formula you got from outer space. The damn thing got away, and now you want us to hunt it down and kill it. Now, is that pretty close? Today, as part of our Bargain Bin series, we'll be discussing Species, starring Ben Kingsley. Can't believe our little girl did this. She's not a little girl. Michael Madsen. Who are you and what do you do? Preston Lennox. And if I'm here, I think the shit has definitely hit the fan. Marge Helgenberger. She's menstruating. She's definitely capable of reproduction. Forrest Whitaker. She's a predator. Her eyes in front so she can just a distance to her prey. Alfred Molina. You see, when a predatory species is introduced into a closed ecological system, the extinction of the weaker species is inevitable. And Natasha Henstrich. Where's a good place to find a man? Well... There's plenty of guys at the end around the corner. It's a club. You won't have any trouble meeting somebody there. Directed by Roger Donaldson. I've got his machine. Should I leave a message? Yeah. Tell him he's about to copulate with a creature from outer space. <laughs> copulate, huh? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. It stinks in here. I'm going to wait outside. It's Gally in Glasgow. Yeah, well, whatever. So, it's Devlin in London. Tell me it's going to stop growing, Dan. Tell me it's going to stop growing. It's <laughs> Matt in South Korea. Oh, hello, listeners, and welcome back, gang. Um, you may have noticed that we have not kept to our schedule, as per usual. Uh, this time, unfortunately, uh, one of the gang uh, has uh, has taken ill due to uh, due to the COVID nineteen virus. Therefore, our alien episode has been uh, slightly delayed until we wait for Patrick to get a full bill of health and come back to the show. And we all wish him uh, we all wish him well. We decided that we would go alien adjacent, didn't we, team? And we and we decided that, of course, after Alien, there's. <laughs> There's only species. There's the next film to discuss. It's right? in the lineage, in the grand lineage of the sci-fi canon. Move over, James Cameron. It's a Roger Donaldson kind of town. <laughs> Second Donaldson on the pod, right? Not a friend of the show, exactly, but you know. <laughs> creepy uncle of the show. Yeah, creepy uncle of the show. And we also decided, you know, listeners, that of course there has been a big film released in the last couple of weeks, or re-released, shall we say? that's about four hours long, that every single movie podcast, of course, has done an episode on. We don't like to we don't like to follow trends. Uh, it's one of our things, isn't it? So we thought, actually, our four hours would be better spent with species. <laughs> Whether or not that was a wise decision, mm. we'll find out. But It was four hours, actually, because I did one and two, and I think you did even more, didn't you? Uh, yeah, for me, it was, uh, uh, let's call it six, like six and a half... <laughs> Not including uh, rewatch of, of Species 1, so you're actually talking about basically a full working day of Species 1, yeah. Species 2, Species 3, and as much of Species 4 as any human should be expected to handle, which is approximately 20 minutes. 
Yeah, take that, Snyder. <laughs> Talk about Southern for our art. Um, also speaking of uh, Southern for our art, uh, I'll just tell you now that uh, last night I introduced Species to uh, Danielle, who uh, most listeners will be aware of is is my uh, my better half, the Mrs. Columbo to the show, and um, unfortunately, yeah, nearly ended the entire happy home thing for <laughs> created. I won't lie. So sandwiches for, for, for Danielle is that this was an affliction. I can do a, a two word review from Shin. Um, my oh yeah, half. go ahead. Uh, shit CGI. <laughs> you want me? Devlin, did you subject Kiara to species? I did. And you know what? Largely positive. So it's, very, oh. I mean, it's obviously very stupid. Like one of the more stupid things she's ever sat through, but. Actually enjoyed it. <laughs> no interest in the sequels though, and to be fair, I do not blame her. So how tense was, was this screening, Gally? How tense was it? Was it like the rites of spring when they had a riot in Paris afterwards? Well, you've <laughs> got to think, we've, we've been together for five years now and we've, we've seen ourselves through uh, a global pandemic, uh, or have we done as best as we can. And then, and then this little two hour movie from 1995, uh, ripples in time. Uh, I would suggest, uh, we tried. So the way I set it up was that, uh, we could play a little drinking game. It's the Danny empath drinking game, mm. uh, which is the, when does Forrest Whitaker say something obvious game, which actually <laughs> playing it got me very, very drunk, slightly hungover, yeah. unfortunately for this recording team. Um, because every single line of dialogue from poor Forrest, uh, is a shocker. Yeah. It's an obvious, it's an obvious observation. And, uh, and Danielle, yeah, I think, I think the tables got flipped when he walks into the car, the, the carriage with the dead conductor <laughs> and the cocoon. And he just went, something bad happened to her. <laughs> That's when she flipped. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and I couldn't, I could, there was no regain. And unfortunately, I, uh, I also crouched into the room to replenish our drinks, a la Michael Madsen's <laughs> Preston Athletics. And a little smirk, but it didn't last long, uh, cause that joke wore thin too. So yeah, <laughs> that was the experience last night. So, but I get, listen, enough of what Danielle thought because it's clear species wasn't for her. And I don't want our listeners to just tune out because it sounds like it wasn't, it wasn't fun. Um, what are our experiences with species? I'll start with you, Devlin. Uh, I think I would have watched this. Uh, in fact, I know that I would have taped it off the telly on my sneaky little, uh, private VHS collection. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or oh, definitely would have snapped the black tab off this one as well. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine it would have been uh, 97, 98, so, you know, 13, 14 prime, prime target audience for this thing. I would have been sitting around waiting for this one to come out. This could, uh, uh, apply to most of the films that we've been talking about in the Rerotica series as well. I think, um, mm-hmm. at that age, I think the, uh, the appeal for it was obvious. Um, it was, uh, that people was going to get naked and, um, uh, it was also, if you think like 95 was, was, uh, was, was just sad, prime kind of lad era, wasn't it? So, yeah. uh, this, this film mm. was, was pretty huge and, and, uh, you loaded magazine guy, FHM guy, Dev. 
Uh, I'm sure, yeah, there were issues of all of these and more lying around. Like, not lying around, carefully hidden <laughs> around. Um, but yeah, how about you, Matt? Uh, well, I'd never seen it, so this was a new one. You've, you've opened oh, my eyes. Uh, th- this was always on the rental shelf that I always talk about down at Kavner's. Uh, black box, green text, uh, with, with the, the creature or the girl on the front with the, you know, who I now know uh, as Syl. Um, men cannot resist her was the tagline. Uh, I think it was, was 18. It? I was wondering what the tagline was. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's men cannot resist her. And, and yeah, I still didn't, I think it's probably because it was out of reach that I, I didn't read the synopsis or right. anything like that. Um, you didn't want so I didn't realize it was that box. <laughs> on, on somebody's shoulders trying to reach, reach the uh, top <laughs> shelf. But, um, I didn't realize it was a sexual kind of film at all. And I, I had no idea it was an a-, a female alien craving reproduction plot. I had no, no clue. I mustn't have seen a trailer or anything. Um, it it always looked a bit cheap somehow um, mm. and felt cheap in some way. And I think that's one of the reasons why I avoided it. But I don't know how I, how I knew that from the very, box. It was just instinct. Of you. <laughs> it was because it doesn't look that the box is, is fairly decent, you know, and, and, you know, attractive lady. And as you say, we were that, that age. I don't know why it didn't quite click, but um, I think I mixed it up with mimic a little bit, which has a very similar mm, artwork. Yeah, similar. Yeah. And, uh, one word, vague title, black and green design, font. And then ever since I'd learned that Guillermo del Toro made that one, um, I, species kind of been separated from it, but I still hadn't, um, seen the film. So, um, yeah, I, I this is just something I'd made my peace with not seeing. I just thought, yeah, never mind. But now I've been Devlin. We might have an empath on the call here. Because, uh, clearly, clearly you've got the Danny skills to know that this was potentially quite cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Something horrible happened here. Did you watch this one as a, as a kid guy? Yeah, no, this was an absolute video rental. Um, I've talked before about, uh, my father with his broken English and sort of lack of respect for the BBFC's, uh, <laughs> certifying of films. He, he would, you know, this is me and him would have watched this and, and yeah, you were absolutely right to pick out Mimic because, um, they are very, very similar as far as the front covers. Uh, I would mm. suggest that Mimic is the better film. Uh, yeah. but it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy this. We'll have to find out as we go through. Yeah. The promise of, uh, a sort of naked Natasha Henstrich. Uh, was enough, but also again, this is, I, as we go through these films that I, um, I remember as in my teenage years, I have weird tangential links to actors who are not really that big. So Michael Madsen would have been a pull for me because I would have been like, Oh, there's Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dog. Yeah. I didn't know he was in it. I had no clue he was even in the film. That, that maybe would have been enough to get me on board too. No, I, I think it was uh, a bit of Michael Madsen and also Sir Ben. Sir Ben Kingsley, Gandhi. So, of course, Species <laughs> had a degree of credibility, but we we'll, we can get into whether or not Sir Ben left his credibility at the door uh, when he walked on set. So, before we before we get into it, then um, Devlin, I believe you've written a hilarious plot summary of Species, just for our listeners who may not have seen it for the longest of times. Um, I've written a plot summary. Can't guarantee yeah. hilarity will ensue. <laughs> that, that will happen on its own. Yeah, I'll leave that for you guys to be the judge. But, uh, here is, as far as I can recall, the plot of Species. 
The nerds at SETI, or the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Program, receive radio transmissions from deep in outer space. One, a recipe for a fancy fuel source which will provide infinite methane, convinces the team that the alien message is from a friendly source. The other, alien DNA, comes with instructions for how to combine it with human genes to create a new life form. Important man of indeterminate actual job title Xavier Finch, played by a bug-eyed Ben Kingsley, leads the team in creating Sill, first played by future Dawson's Creek denizen and latter-day Oscar darling Michelle Williams as a girl who appears roughly 12 years old, a female having been chosen for perceived docility. But her freaky dreams convince Fitch or Finch? Fitch? Fitch. Fitch. I've written it as Xavier Finch. Shocking. Fitch. To terminate the experiment by flooding her hamster cage with cyanide gas, leading her to bust out and escape to hop on a passing train to hitch a ride out to old LA, smashing up a homeless man on the way. Fitch calls in a ragtag task force to capture and destroy her sluggish bounty hunter press, a sozzled Michael Madsen. Biologist Dr. Laura Baker, CFI's <laughs> Marg Helgenberger. Is it Marg Helgenberger or Marge? I, I would say Marg. I would I, say Marg. I, I'm gonna go I with guess Marg. I always pronounced it Marg. Uh, Mark Helgenberger, anthropologist Dr. Stephen Arden, a cheerful Alfred Molina, and in massive air quotes, empath and human exposition machine, Dan Forrest Whitaker. After cocooning in her train compartment, Syl emerges as a striking, fully grown blonde woman intent on propagating her species, which is the title of the film, by boffing some rando LA douchebags. However, a combination of imperfect genes in one potential mate and bad timing as a hot tub boogie gets num- gets rumbled just as she's about to fumble around in some guy's swimming trunks, inspires Syl to cook up a scheme in which she'll fake her own fiery death in a car accident by substituting herself with an unfortunate good Samar- uh, Samaritan who'd previously picked up a naked Syl in a car park. After having witnessed the fireball, the gang celebrate a terrible job badly done in a hotel lobby. Syl slips into their midst simply by dyeing her hair black and singles out an eager Dr. Arden as her future baby daddy. Dispatching the hapless doctor immediately post-coitus, and now pregnant Syl makes for the hotel's inexplicably industrial basement sewer thing to give birth, pursued by his erstwhile teammates. Kingsley gets tentacled, but the remaining trio manage to dispatch both Syl and her already toddler-looking offspring. All's well that ends well, until a rat chews on a discarded tentacle and seems to morph into a miniature Scylla-like to leave us open for sequels. Yeah, great, great job, Doug. I think uh, I think we covered the the, the beats there, and um, uh, quite telling the way that plot plays out, that as a pursuit of an alien, not much pursuing, <laughs> largely just following her to two places and failing to catch her. <laughs> it's strange, because I've got a note here about how Donaldson keeps the energy high. But actually, as you go through the plot, beat by beat, I realise that there's a lot of hotel lobby <laughs> sat, sat around. <laughs> it's, it's one of those, isn't it? It's a strange one, but I actually want to start with, and the link here to Alien is strong. Um, mm. We will get into uh, Giga and his design, uh, designs, actually. Um, but one of the things about the original Alien that... Um, sandwiches for you know the next episode when when patrick returns is the way that the film thematically uses its opening credits and ident to essentially give you a precursor for the film you're about to watch mm. 
it's in, it's, it's pretty emblematic in species that it is some kind of lazy kind of rip off, but my God, is it cheap? Yeah. I think the reason why mm. Danielle's back was up against the wall from minute one was because it looks like it's weird art. I mean, it's absolutely offensive. <laughs> isn't it? Like, it's so doesn't it bad. look, uh, hand, Ill, uh, hand animated? It looks like it's drawn. The, the yeah. f- first letters when they come up, they look like they are literally like drawn directly onto the f- film. And then it becomes like really bad 3G rendered art. I, I've noted that it's an immediate and very succinct summary for the entire film, really. <laughs> it's, it's a film that's trying to steal from Alien yeah. and uh, and failing, really. So, you know, again, for better or worse, we'll get into. But uh, from, right from the get-go, you can... Uh, I, I understand why Daniel's back was up to it's It's, uh, yeah... It's a bit of a tell. Well, I try to, I try to give it a little bit of credit, Matt, by thinking, well, are they kind of aping, you know, those, those old Twilight episodes or those, you know, B movie monster films? Oh, Twilight Zone. Think- yeah. Oh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. Sorry. But I, um, I don't know. I don't know whether it was deliberate or they ran out mm. of money, but it mm. felt so cheap because even the green, just random green smoky stuff in space yeah. just looks, it looks 1995. Dreadful text and fonts in in films is probably not a great era there's also a a real misunderstanding with some of the effects i think uh the making of revealed that the team really thought they were doing something groundbreaking here but they're they're only on like a quarter or a third of the jurassic park budget and they're really struggling to get to get to where they need to be but they're speaking as if they are um reinventing cinema i know there's a lot of motion capture stuff that we can get into but that they're they're really talking about the film in grandiose terms but these they couldn't even get the credits right which is kind of hilarious <laughs> well because it it feels like a like an add-on because then uh once you've done the credits and roger donaldson's name comes on it then has like a a, a tracking a- slow tracking shot that that moves around and gives you um you know you get to see that famous cinematic landmark from golden eye with the with the seti satellites and and everyone's yeah. seen it in films um and in the 90s you know i'd, I'd it brought back all of these memories of these kind of extraterrestrial films like Fire in the Sky, Roswell, um, Contact, the Charlie Sheen arrival, Independence Day as well. It has Independence Day has the same opening, doesn't it? You know, message from yeah. space that comes bouncing mm-hmm. back. And so then you're like, well, wait a minute, this looks like an expensive film, but those credits are so cheap that yeah. it, it doesn't really match. It's, it was very odd to me. Very odd. Did you get anything, um, as far as Predator goes too? I, I felt like yeah. Christopher Young is really going for that Alan Silvestri, uh, he's ripping aliens off. There's a couple of, yeah. oh yeah. Dun, dun. Yes, There's a couple definitely. of those in there. Talk about throwing you straight into the story. Uh, forget about the alien birth or whatever. We're straight into killing it, which, um, I mean, I guess this is, maybe this is day one of Ben Kingsley because this feels like the only time that he's really given it when he's looking, looking down at Michelle Williams trapped in a little dome. Yeah. A tear roll, single tear. Yeah, exactly. That's single tear. Single, single, single. <laughs> but I like the beginning. Like, I feel like I should say something positive about the, the beginning, uh, the, where she escapes and she's running and there's a, there's a, the huge shadow on the wall and you're thinking, okay, now the camera's moving yeah. around. And What's then touching? you, yeah, you get, you get to, uh, uh, an exterior where you've got several helicopters in the air and you've got Ben Kingsley and you've got the guy who looks like an old Prince William <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> a, a pound shop, Robert Patrick. 
Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so th- then th- th- at that point, they're trying to track down this, this girl who's run away and you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm in. And then, you know, we can get into what happens next. But uh, at that point, I was actually fairly impressed in spite of the, uh, cheap credits. Well, it's, it's quick, isn't it? And, uh, I think this is where I, my mistakenly put my note about high energy. Like we don't sit on anything for too long. Uh, but when I watched it a second time, I was thinking, I mean, there's surely more humane ways of destroying this experiment. Like you don't need to get the, sanit- <laughs> the canisters of cyanide Multiple and show her, and literally show her that we're about to, we're about to murder you to death. You know, maybe mm. lethal injection or poison of food or something. But also I did like the, the setup that gets paid off later that she can lip read mm. Fitch. You know, he says like, I'm sorry. She repeats it. It's kind of, I say subtle. It's about one of the only subtle things that happens in the film. Uh, but I do like a little, little roll, little jump out as well. It's quite exciting that like, but also who left the fire door open? Like this just close the way she escapes. It seems it's so easy the way she escapes. And then they get the team together. Like it's Michael Jackson's moonwalker. I mean, it's crazy how many people just start following her, but it's a, uh, it's quick, isn't it? It's like five minutes into the film. We have an alien loose already. There's no, no messing around in species. And we also get to see her like when she jumps on the, uh, uh, on the train, on the, uh, the box car. On the so, Giga train. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and she, Oh throws, no, it's not the Giga train. That's, a, that's solely in the nightmare, right? That's the, yeah, that's, that's train two. So in, in, in train yeah, one, train she, um, I'm not, it, it never really shows how she manages to get onto that box car because she's running next to it. And then, then I think she has the, yeah, then she has the dream and then she wakes up and she throws that. Is it a vision? Dream? Yeah. It combines. Yeah. 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 And she so throws, it's a bit of a clumsy at it. It's a little very, bit clumsy. Very clumsy. But like you said, uh, it's like it, things are happening in quite rapid succession and it's all very exciting and confusing. And that is fun to watch. It, it is fun. It's also fun. And it, it became a bit of a game for me, which is trying to nail down Ben Kingsley's accent. Yeah. <laughs> what is he doing? It's it. Is he trying to be essentially kind of a proto government hardman type? But then he's a rubbish scientist and rubbish leader. Yeah. But when he's doing it, it's like, oh, she's that fast. I like, he sounds like Vincent D'Onofrio in Men in Black. He's kind of doing <laughs> that voice, isn't he? Well, he's dressed as Jackie Treehorn for some reason. Uh, yeah. And th- th- there's also the Frankenstein uh, trope that is fairly obvious. I don't, I, I can't explain his accent, but you know, I can, I can <clears> see what he's going for with some of the, performance so i think he must have been paid a lot because on the making of he's very tranquil just lying in the water um for his death scene (laughs) and uh, you can imagine him freaking out about doing something like that but i think he was just imagining you know the cash or something but well it's post it's post oscar isn't it i mean so schindler's list is what 92 92, 93 maybe yeah Mm. so three years later or two years as far as record like um, yeah filming He's on, he signs up to species. For me, obviously now Ben Kingsley will turn up, you know, to your birthday party if you give him enough Mm -hmm. money. Like, but at that point, he's Gandhi. You'd be, I'd be surprised that, that, you know, he wouldn't feel that he has maybe a reputation to, to uphold here as a serious thespian. Although it's, it's very possible that he just, um, he, he doesn't. Maybe we've put that on him that maybe we think, although I have heard him in an interview and we once, um, was talking about him. It's like, uh, uh, he referred to himself, his voice, and his physical form as his instrument through which he plays his music. There's a bit in the making of where he's talking to Donaldson, and he says to Donaldson, uh, I'd like a moment of private grief. 
Mm-hmm. And like everyone's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, so he says he wants to look over here and the camera should capture this. And he's, uh, he's quite dictatorial actually, but not in a nasty way, but, um, Donaldson's like, yeah, okay. But <laughs> I, I feel he is slumming it here and it was noticeable when I saw him. I thought, why yeah. is he in, in this? You can't, you know, you can't just stick any Tom, Dick or Harry in it, but you know, he's, it, it, when you hire, you know, Kingsley, you get that credibility, I think. So it's the other thing I couldn't get my head around is okay. So Ben Kingsley's going to take this role in this kind of schlocky sci-fi film. The character himself is so weak, mm. as in not the the characterization, as in he gets he gets bullied by everyone else. Michael Madsen just throws shade at him all throughout <laughs> yeah. the film, and he just takes it, <laughs> and it's just so weird. It's like, well, why would you take it? It's never clear, like you say, it's never clear what what he is is he like the shady government guy who's hiding things but he sort of is but he's not he's not competent enough to to be that because he keeps getting things wrong uh yeah he is like shoved around by them in the lab scene like uh, uh yeah. he disappears for large stretches of the film later on uh, it's, like it's played very bizarrely like your opening line dev was one of yeah. my favorites from from him it's- what was it again Oh, oh, yeah. Well, whatever. So, <laughs> with no inflection. Yeah. Right yeah. There's another bit where, um, the, the CSI woman explains to him that if that's menstrual blood, then she, she may be able to, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, go on and have children. And, and he's, he's like, I know, I know. It's like, yeah, it's, I don't it's, think he did know. You know, I think it's, it's played very peculiarly. Yeah, it's like in, in, in Costner, uh, in, um, uh, Robin Hood. And he's like, you may now kiss the bride. I know that. I know that. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot like, like that. he broke characters. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> the other one as well is when they're, um, when they're doing, uh, and this is where I was giving Donaldson some praise, which is the, it's the Terminator effect of, uh, dialogue on the run. So mm. you say things on the move and it gives you the illusion that things are happening very fast and they're, they're about to get into, and this is the beauty of it. They're about to get into an elevator. So it's not exactly the, the fastest mode of transport in the big bastard four seasons hotel. I think they're staying at mm. and they're all talking about, well, if we could just grow it without the human gene, then yeah. we would, and they're all, they're all pitching in like, uh, Danny's like, I could know how it feels, which I'm not sure he could. Um, Alvin Molina's like, yes, it's a mask. Yes. And then Ben Kingsley goes, yep. And then we'll know what we're dealing with. Oh no, he just goes, you're right. You're right. (laughs) You're right. It's like, surely as the scientist who's been running this experiment for the last two years or like six months, you would know that. Maybe that's why I had an issue with that uh, because it's like they're going to grow another one to find mm. out how it feels. So, and, and I felt like that was just a way to crowbar in that entire scene, which felt like an alien's steal. You've yes. got Michael Madsen trying to smash the window like Ripley does. You've got, um, when that creature, that ridiculous creature comes out, um, <laughs> it, it, it's almost face hugger esque yeah. when it goes against the window. Um, and then, you know, that whole scene was chasing them around. It's, it, it felt very sub aliens to me and i felt like they needed another beat in there and that was a way to to get it well matt they they didn't just need another beat in there they needed a better setup i mean that is is, it there's many many moments in this film that made me laugh out loud and one of them was the camera's gone down a technician needs is required (laughs) yeah and then um csi lady it's like no it happens all the time in the lab when she does it 
it's two k. Ca- it's it's two cables. She replaces <laughs> yeah. two cables, pulls the camera out, puts a new one in, puts the two cables back in, and then there's two bolts. And unfortunately, Michael Madsen fucks up and drops one. And then there's a grate underneath. Why is there a grate? <laughs> Don't put a grate there. It's um, oh. it's it's when uh, Margen Helgenberger when she looks over and she's like, "Do you have a replacement camera?" And she says, "Uh, we have a standby camera." Is it the same fucking thing? Shit. The camera's just gone down. Um, excuse me. Do you have a replacement camera? We have a standby camera, but it will take some time for the technician to come by and replace it. Oh, no. This happens in my lab all the time. It's a simple operation to replace it. You're saying you can do it? Well, yeah, sure. I can. I just, you know, need somebody to give me a hand. Well, I don't want technicians in there. This is classified. I don't know how many drafts of the script and how many cuts there were before they locked it down, but they needed a few more passes. I believe eight, eight drafts from what I heard. That's incredible. The, the, the lines like that that make it in after eight drafts and a cut, I don't know how many cuts of the movie. It's mm. just astounding to me. It's well, in, in terms of the, the script, um, I guess, uh, now that you mention it, we can, uh, bring up that the, um, the, the, uh, the whole film was entirely generated by the writer Dennis Feldman. He's like a second right. generation Hollywood guy. I think his dad was, um, a producer on, um, the wild bunch. Uh, and a couple of other things, and, and Feldman went on to be a screenwriter. Um, he wrote The Golden Child for Eddie Murphy. Uh-huh. He wrote The Golden Child, and then it was passed to be an Eddie Murphy vehicle, and he feels that, you know, his, <laughs> his, his was compromised <laughs> by the shenanigans mm-hmm. of Eddie Murphy, and they brought in Murphy's writing team and stuff. And, uh, so yeah, so he said he had this idea, um, he was working on a, a different sci-fi film. Well, I think he, um, originally had some, integrity didn't he when he conceived of this it felt like a dan o'bannon style thing and uh, i know it's it's not quite the same approach but he he appeared to um have a vision for this one yeah he he said that um he was writing a sci-fi film and that he he read a, a, an article by arthur c clark which said that the um the the odds of an alien actual alien craft landing on earth uh, are extraordinarily uh, uh slim so the most likely thing that they would do would it would be information so you have um uh they were sending out the uh arecibo or arecibo i'm not sure how it's pronounced which is I think the, it's arecibo uh, but i'll go with arecibo uh, sounds like it does, a nice dip it does yeah, yeah. or like a uh, or like a funky latin pop song from the 90s arecibo <laughs> um so which is where they send out a deep radio transmission which in, includes all the information about humanity they talk about it in the film where it's you know they send out like the the basic dna structure of people and little bits and pieces of the um and so he had this idea of information coming back and um his original concept was it was going to be more of a a a cop procedural chase thriller where uh instead of it being a government team that have created sill it's a um like what they what he called it a bathtub geneticist which is like some rogue uh uh former worker on a uh government program that gets shut down so he takes all the stuff a lot of this stuff actually ended up being regurgitated in species three but in a very cheap way um mm. they obviously went back and, and mm. mined the original draft for ideas there um well that would make more sense as right? far as ben it's, kingsley being super incompetent and needing yeah. to form a michael Crichton-esque team of specialists to yeah. hunt the alien down because it, it forever i mean don't don't get me wrong. Maybe this is a little bit of uh, my work blending into the pod here, but 
I couldn't work out the economics of outsourcing yeah. your help. Like surely if you're a government agency and you're a bunch of scientists, yeah. you have a specialist who deals with well, yeah. I mean, biology. Who the, who the fuck is working <laughs> at, this, at this facility? Who's, who's doing yeah. the job? Who made her? It, it felt to me like this, his script had been kind of bastardized. He, he wrote yeah. it on spec, I think. And yeah, he did. then th- there's this idea in the final film where it's like, maybe she's trying to repopulate the earth. Maybe she's trying to do this. Maybe she's trying to do that. Or mm-hmm. is it a biological weapon, an intergalactic exterminator? I think one of the, the things was, but he, he, he was like Dan O'Bannon in, in, even behind the scenes, it's reminiscent of Alien. Like he's moaning yeah. that changes were made and things like that. Mm, but yeah. um, like the people who bought the script, I think, only saw one thing, which was this opportunity for some cheap titillation under the guise of a an R-rated yeah. science fiction film. So I think them. they took what they wanted, and he, he's just frustrated because the money men have kind of tainted his original vision, which was probably all right at the beginning. Yeah. I think the, 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 the core concept is actually super fascinating. And I think that he did a mm. bunch of research. He actually went to SETI and he spoke to people where, and he, he spoke to people who were mapping the human genome and the human uh, genome project, which was, was still ongoing mm. back in the nineties. Like he did a bunch of research and you think for this, fucking hell. And I said it, didn't I, in my intro, you know, this was on trend, like. X-Files, I think was 93. So by the second season of the X-Files, everyone's watching it. Everyone's, I, I know I was, I was collecting the stickers. Thank you, Merlin. Um, you know, these, so as far as like extraterrestrial stories, space was quite, I think again, on trend, you know, we weren't currently embroiled in any kind of war. So it was all a bit quiet on the human front. So we were looking for, for our threats to come from somewhere else. Um, cause I remember vividly loving fire in the sky with the T-1000 Robert Patrick, which is just a goofy film about someone getting abducted by aliens and probes and all that kind of stuff. And, and this, this felt kind of like that, but Matt, you, you're absolutely right about the, the ideas, you know, uh, about, cause, cause in alien, that's the, always the threat, isn't it? In the alien series, if it comes on, if it, if this thing has a chance to populate, it will mm. wipe out every every other life form and they i think alfred molina has a couple of lines he has one line when he's sat in the hotel lobby where he's always mm. sat uh and i think he says <laughs> something about the dominant species will always if you drop a species into an ecosystem yeah the dominant species will always rise to the top it's just a throwaway line but that should have been the threat that that's driving this team but this team are so placid in their yeah. procedural. It's just like, uh, we, we missed her again. Oh well, mm. we'll, uh, we'll just. <laughs> They're here because we need characters and it didn't feel like yeah. anything beyond that. You know, uh, they were kind of thrown to, there's something interesting happen when you throw characters like that together. But I just found it very bizarre, like very disparate and, uh. None of them seemed you know. to do any work, even though they all had different specialisms at best. You, aside from Forrest Whitaker giving obvious after the fact <laughs> exposition. Um, yeah. Alfred Molina says like two things uh, and doesn't actively <laughs> contribute anything to the chase. He's just there to sort of comment on things. I'd like to see a film like uh, a, a, a swingers style movie where Molina and Forrest Whitaker are just kind of on the, on the pole together. That would be good. That's one of the best lines where he says, um, I'll eat something with you. Thanks, Dan. That was one of my favorite throwaway Molina 
Should we, should we do it? Should we break down this team of specialists? Mm. Um, because it's kind of fun. Let's, we'll start from the bottom and work our way up to, uh, our, our action lead. Um, so let's start with Alfred Molina. So he's the geeky one. Yeah. Harvard teaches there. Is it Harvard or Cambridge? I can't remember. Harvard, I think. And the, uh, yeah, he's unfortunately, you know, ruled by his penis, isn't he? Cause when it, when is a, when Silt turns up, it's just like, when he's trying to take his trousers off, I'm, I, I know that Alvaro Molina is not really acting there. He's like, yeah, I, <laughs> I was wondering why he was in it for a while. And then when the sex scene happened, I was like, oh, okay. Now I understand. Yeah. In the making of, um, Molina just, uh, he just has a throwaway line again. He's just saying, oh, there's monsters in it and there's weird computer stuff and effects. He knows it's just a gig. He's not yeah. playing up to it like Kingsley, like trying to justify being in this thing he's i think he knows what it is and he he plays it fairly well i didn't mind him in this at all he was steve coogan-esque in play yes very much so <laughs> they've done a thing together haven't they yeah, melina and coogan yeah weren't they in um mm. coffee and cigarettes is, is, is that yeah they were yes oh yeah, right were. in the same yeah. scene were they in a in yeah they were in the same scene yeah. Ah. But yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of fun. But yeah, he, he has very little to do until he is, uh, sacrificially boned. To be fair, at least the characters acknowledge it. Did you see, what's his name? I, I don't even know his name. I'm just going to call him, did you see Alfred Molina? Yeah, poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, then we have Marg Helgenberger or CSI lady, uh, who despite costume basically putting her in granny clothes throughout the whole film lots of lots of cotton lots of cardigans lots of layers um i thought it was quite refreshing to see older actors acting a bit playful a little bit sexy there's a there's a bit of a graduate homage shot where she's about to well play with preston's <laughs> pipe <laughs> probably the cleanest way of putting it but i that's thought it was all i thought that was quite no not at all, not at all. sorry about that listeners. that's just really quite crude um but yeah i thought it was quite um it was quite refreshing to see uh older older actors especially an older female being uh you know getting an opportunity to do kind of a fun sex scene that isn't super neutered like Kevin and uh, Vicky in American Pie. Oh, that was quite nice. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't place her because I don't watch CSI, but Shin watches it. And she said, oh, it's the, the stripper. The stripper woman from <laughs> the stripper woman. CSI. Oh, yeah. yeah, she was formerly a stripper. Oh, I had no clue. But I, I recognized her face, but I couldn't couldn't place her. So, um, yeah, that's that, I don't know anything about her at all. So this is the first film I've She's seen She's like her. the co-lead of CSI. She's uh, mm-hmm. uh Yeah, yeah. I mean, geez. Las Vegas, right? Yeah, original flavor. Who's the guy? Who's the guy with it? Is it Peterson? Yeah, or it's, the, Pe- uh, Pe- it's Peterson. Yep, coming off Manhunter straight into CSI. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> with a, a resting on his laurels, a little <laughs> bit of a, a, a decade and a half gap. <laughs> There's a scene between her and Michael Madsen that's very odd, where she's uh, talking about them making another alien, a pure alien. And Madsen is kind of looking at her in a very peculiar way. You can see that he's interested, but he also has this disdain. Yeah. There's like a, a weird subplot that we never really find out about. I don't know if Madsen hates women in, in, and I shouldn't say Madsen. I should say, uh, <laughs> what's he called? Press. 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 And, but th- there's clearly something going on where he's like, uh, oh, docile. You don't get out much. Yeah. He's had some dark experiences with women, I think, but. I, w- I would like to see some kind of a TV spin-off with uh, with the press character. I think that would be it's kind of um, quite interesting testament to her professionalism that as as kind of uh, uh, unusual as Michael Madsen is playing his role as press that she manages to be a kind of a a pretty solid sounding board and and she comes out of it with uh, 
a kind of a modicum of integrity intact because it would have been very easy. I would have thought playing against whatever the fuck he's doing. (laughs) He's very obviously keen on him right from the beginning. I'm surprised that there wasn't more conflict within the group about the, what they should or should not do with Syl. There's a couple of lines that she has where, but I thought like, okay, if we're going to build a bit of a romance or lust in this team, how interesting would it be if press the killer who's there to destroy has that, um, you know, that, that ideal challenged by the scientist who he also is hot for. Yeah. Who's like, actually, we should protect her. And she is the, cause I think he has a line where it's like, who is the predator? Her or us? Yeah. And they never explore it, but that would have been, <laughs> that was a missed opportunity yeah. for me. And, and maybe that's my review of species all round is like, there was something there that could have easily been a little thread that you could have pulled on, but they, they don't go there at all. I, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's emblematic of the, um, when we were talking before about our Feldman script, it seemed like you really did pack quite a lot of ideas into it, possibly then they got, they went through the thresher and they got thinned out and thinned out and replaced with more generic yeah. elements. And from reading an old issue of, um, Starlog magazine from 1995 <laughs> that I found on the internet archive, um, I went deep on this one. Uh, it turns out that that is pretty much what happened and that, um, the producer was, uh, Frank Mancuso Jr who you may know as the producer of, I think, Friday the 13th, three through eight. Yeah, he did five of them. Yeah. He also did Fled, Ronin, Stigmata, and uh, Species 2. Wow. So this is this is not a guy who is going to be putting up the cash for some fucking nerd picture. <laughs> he wants to <laughs> spine ripping and Preferably an explosion. But as a son of a paramount president, I wonder how he got his job. <laughs> On merit, of course. And I, I like that her and Madsen do kind of play, especially their, uh, their, their final getting together scene. They do play it as if they're a pair of like horny, wine drunk divorcees on a fucking Caribbean cruise. Did you see that it was improvised? We've talked on the erotic thriller podcasts about, um, how these scenes need to be meticulously worked out, storyboarded. Right. Donaldson, Madsen and her have just went for it. They said, Oh, we're just going to improv it. And they just rolled around and did all sorts of stuff and they cut it together. So I have no idea what the rushes look like for it, but that's, that's the way they approached it. Well, right? if I get more Madsen ass, show me the, ru- show me the rushes. In the making of, he says, uh, yeah, they, they cut away too soon. <laughs> I wanted to see more. He was very keen on, uh, maybe he should be breaking into the erotic thriller naked butt walk. Cause if he'd got yeah. the, if he literally should have just said, I've seen Douglas's films. He's a star. Yeah. If I just show more ass, <laughs> I'm in. Well, I think he, he worked with Donaldson on something else. He worked with Donaldson on the, the getaway remake and he, and he, he was kind of moaning to Donaldson on that, that he always plays the bad guy and he only gets bad guy roles. So he said, you know, will you, if you see anything where I can be a hero, then, uh, you know, think of me or something. And, and that's where, that's where his casting came from, I think. But he, he does okay in this, but I have a bit of a theory that he's only really great in the Tarantino stuff. I haven't seen him. Oh, he's good you know. in Thelma and Louise. I don't get me wrong. He's in it for like five minutes. He's a good guy in that. Yeah. It's very brief, isn't it? But he's not bad in movies. I, He's a solid actor, but I think all of his roles that are really going to stand the test of time are when he pops up in, in Quentin's stuff. I did like how Devlin, you said that he was pretty sloshed on this because I don't know if you've, if you've ever <laughs> yeah. seen the, uh, Uwe Boll, uh, Blood Rain, but my God, he is inebriated in that film. Like 
I don't know. They literally must have had two two assistants like either side just below the frame <laughs> holding him up. Him up. Yeah, yeah. It's quite crazy. <laughs> so, is that why he's crouching every five seconds yeah. during the high speed pursuits? Let's well, let's save the empath until last. Press is one of the most fascinating action leads I've seen for some time. He's got a cat, which I love as an opening to a character, which is. Thanks for looking after my cat. Oh, I wonder what, you know. Good morning, Jill. Yeah, he's got a cat. Okay, that's fine. He kills things. He's an assassin who appears to have not been trained in firearms. Because I don't know what the, what the forearm on the top actually does. There's also one scene where he's got his finger on the trigger and he's twirling around like 360. Like he could have killed anyone in that room if if he'd accidentally tapped that. Often holding the gun. Only by the trigger. <laughs> he has his hand, he has his, 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 uh, his, his index finger and his thumb on the gun and the other three sticking out like he's drinking a lovely cup of tea and the index finger is wedged on the trigger and he's just gesturing with it. Like he's pointing to stuff like, <laughs> what about that over there? It's a fucking point your loaded gun at it, you, man- you maniac. <laughs> he was holding that gun like Mr. Blonde holds a soda. Maybe the prop was a bit light. Well, no, because maybe it's heavy. Maybe it's heavy, Matt, because... How can you explain how he enters a room to clear it by crouching? That makes no sense. No sense whatsoever that he crouches. And also, did you, right, here's the, the biggest laugh that it got from, from press is why the fuck when Sil comes to the club for the second time and they chase her, yeah. does he jump on a car bike yes. and then just sit there? <laughs> it is honestly, I was laughing my yeah. head off. I was like, this is, there's a little, a little gargoyle crouch. <laughs> well, I messaged you to say that there's a bit where he exits an elevator and he, he crouches in the parking garage and it looks like it's for poise, but I think he was just knackered. It lo- he looked really tired at that point. Let's laugh out loud stuff. I mean, I was literally like, are they doing this on purpose? This is so fun. I mean, cause normally you get, um, every film like this would normally have like a week with, a firearm expert or someone who is uh, a military expert who can give you some basic tips on how to clear a room, point a gun. Clearly Madsen just missed the meeting. Like, <laughs> it was so funny. Just I, watching I him. think he would have probably just gone into pre-production and said, fuck off, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, something else I think of when I think of Michael Madsen is his stint on Celebrity Big Brother in England. Um, when he ate all of the hors d'oeuvres, um, in, in probably less than two minutes as they arrived. And then he got into this kind of strange psychosexual battle with, um, Denise Welsh from Loose Women. Oh, God. And she, she called him a dickhead at one point and, and he goes, um, you're a drunk bitch. <laughs> and then, uh, he says, uh, the best insult was like after that, she kept pushing him. Like, why are you pushing Michael Madsen? And then he said, uh, you're an abomination. <laughs> that was the best quote from him. Oh, you know. Know. It, top three celebrity big brother moments ever for me, including Busey. So that's saying something. So, so it's Les Dennis, Busey, then Madsen. That's how it is. <laughs> yeah. They're all up there. But another laugh out loud moment is when he's in the car park. This is all right at the end, by the way. In order to get into his car, he shoots his window through to then get bigger yeah. guns. So he's always had bigger guns, but he chooses to have a little pea shooter, little nine mil to, to hunt the alien. It's so funny. So there's a moment in a corridor. Now, I can't remember if this is from one or two. I think it's from two. And I'd confused it in my head. 
that um, mm. he uses like his gun, almost like it's a periscope. He's going around a corner and he puts the gun around <laughs> to check for him. And then he puts his head around. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how guns work. Uh, but he no. shoots he shoots at Phil once and then gets to a lift and immediately changes his clip. So apparently he only had one bullet. <laughs> I'm probably in hyperbole stages now of this bit, this bit, this bit. But um my favorite, favorite press Michael Madsen moment is the uh and this is probably only for UK listeners, I don't think they've got it in the US, but the stars in their eyes moment <laughs> when the door opens, still <laughs> is is has now decided Again, this feels like a dropped bit from probably some some draft. She's now decided that instead of after she's faked her death, clearly she's got the entire of mankind to bone, but she's she's hard into wanting to have sex with press because he's, you know, he's man's man, you know? And uh when he takes off his shirt, <laughs> walks through the door with the smoke and the light, <laughs> and he's got that wife beater on, Oh my god! I just, I'm just laughing, and the look on his da, face, da, da, da. <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, this fucking sex pot has just walked through the door, and I'm just like, yeah, he's got the same body as me. <laughs> so much fun. He legitimately looks like corned beef. Oh dear, this film, this film was so good. <laughs> well, anyone not paying attention to species can just listen to Forrest yeah. Whitaker. And understand everything that happens in, in the film. If you're dozing off, he's going to tell you two minutes later exactly what's, what's going on. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. His opening scene, like he's there, he's talking about how he's different. And then it's like, well, he's an empath, but he's also what? Clairvoyant? Yes. It's like, that's the door. It's for, it's for me. She went that way. How could he possibly know? Oh, Devlin, please, please help me out. He's, he's the best character in this film, but the worst <laughs> as well. He is. He's, um, you're right in that he plays it really guileless. I actually think he's he's doing the best he can with what he's got. I understand that uh, yeah. uh, what you're saying about the fact that um, it's very unfortunate for the optics that as the only uh, uh, black character, um, his role is to be a bit magic and just dispense uh, uh, with plot exposition, but there's just something a bit magic and it's, uh, it's fine. It's fine to not mm. have to explain it because it's not Caucasian and thus it's allowed to be mysterious. But like all of that stuff aside, it's quite lazy writing. I think that there's a bit where he flat out tells us who Michael Madsen is at his very core. Like in the first line of the film, he said, but I'm glad somebody did because I had no idea. What am I feeling right now? You want to believe that nothing affects you, that you're not afraid of anything. But you're curious, just like the rest of us. This is So this is where the drinking game comes in. So last night um, I said to Danielle, we will take a drink for every obvious observation that Forrest Whitaker makes. And that was the first drink because he's like, you're curious like the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why yeah. wouldn't you be? You've been drinking oh, I, I, this I would room. imagine we would be, yeah, Danny. Cheers. <laughs> He's a psychic Basil exposition yeah. in this. And it like, and th- that's what a script is for and a performance is for. And he's a cheap way to spell out the story for dummies every step of yeah. the way. Uh, and it's quite an infuriating character for me. I don't think it's his fault. I don't blame Forrest at all. But, um, what you're not getting across visually 
he will tell you. Um, and, and you can fall back on that as some, as Donaldson perhaps did at times. It's kind of a crutch. Oh, it is every scene, Matt. Like when, yeah. when Ben Kingsley's, um, dishing out the, the sort of the way this film's going to work out and where, where Syl came from, he then says, Oh, she didn't like being kissed yeah. up. It's like, Roger. Uh, and then it's like, uh, <laughs> you felt, you felt bad. You had to, <laughs> you had to get rid of her. It's like, yep. That's her one month after she was born. So you kept her caged in there. We decided it would be safer to keep her in isolation. She didn't like being locked up like that. She didn't like being alone like that. Didn't she? She's hiding something. Something inside. You're right, Dan. Yeah, it's a good point. What you were saying, Matt, about um, uh, uh, Forrest Whitaker's character basically just being like there to fill in the holes in the script because i think at one point that there was a uh, uh during the the development process i know that um donaldson especially once he was attached as director was was pushing for a lot of redrafts and he was bringing other writers in although apparently none of their work actually made it into the uh, uh the final film it was just that but they kept getting feldman to rework stuff and that what they kept saying was like uh, believability and logic gaps um but the way that they plug those logic gaps is to just have a ridiculous character tell you exactly what's happening and exactly what's just happened. So I'm not sure whether that was actually uh, uh, much better than than what we would have ended up with. Well, um, well, guys, uh, I'll do I'll do a round table on this one. Favorite Whitaker Whitakisms, uh, Witter observations shall we say so what go on matt what's your favorite of all of danny's great insights you've mentioned the classic uh something bad happened here yeah um one of my personal favorites was she went that way and so i i will i will add some meat to the bones on this one matt so sill was uh again some nice setup and payoff uh she she observes everything and we see that throughout the whole film so she observes human behavior uh human interactions and then is able to mimic and and learn from that. So when she's picked up by douchebag number one, she watches him turn the turn the engine of a car on, get it in gear, and then a pedal uh, and the handbrake, mm-hmm. so she can learn how to drive. Second, I think it's that douche's car. She then takes and drives until there is no petrol left in yeah. the vehicle. You know what I like is that the car's all fucked up, though, which shows that she knows how to drive a car, but she doesn't know how to drive a car well. It's clear that she's been like, crashing it overnight. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there was probably just some cut, cut footage, but I like the fact that that was the one bit where Donaldson leaves that without having to tell us that she must have gotten in an accident in this vehicle. Yeah. Um, so it's got, it was quite nice. But yeah, so the car has stopped because there is no petrol, and then uh, Syl has got out and walked the very direction that the car was pointing. When Danny and uh, Ben Kingsley turn up, he sits in the car, puts his hands on the steering wheel, and then says, she walked. <laughs> and then points the very, the very direction of which the vehicle is pointing and went, she walked that way. She walked that way. <laughs> and uh, that, is, that is a great Danny observation. What about you, Devs? Um, I do, uh, can I think of one? Uh, 
I guess, oh, there's the, um, uh, the, when they're talking to the bouncer at the club and, you know, they're trying to say like, oh, did a tall, hot, blonde leave here with some guy? And then it's a guy, tall, hot, blonde leaves here with some guy all the time. And it's like, <laughs> Robbie left with a blonde. That's him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's classic. Oh, but, dear. Oh, there's so, there's so many. I mean, like every time that, um, press and, and Marge um, uh, are together. I think he says to Alfred Molina, they like each other. I'm yeah. Like, oh my God. Like, this is so, so it's, He seems to be commiserating with Alfred Molina as if Alfred Molina had a thing for Marg Helgenberg. Oh no, I think he did. I think he did. Cause he, he, he says, do you want to, that's the dinner line, isn't it? Do you want to, yeah. do you want to all mm-hmm. have dinner? And yeah, then when yeah. she says no, Alfred Molina looks really deflated and crestfallen that's when danny's like i'll have dinner with you <laughs> so they have they've got a good little twosome going on yeah but yeah there's so there's so many i mean i think there's one where uh he does something bad happens here twice i think the first douche death yeah um, he says something bad happens is it him then, that, that that says to um ben kingsley when they get the polaroid from second douchebag's house and uh, she's turned, so they they can't get a face. Oh, he says, like, yeah, she looks pretty. But doesn't uh, uh, who is it who says? Um, oh, he didn't get a very good picture of her, did he? And then I don't remember. Who <laughs> I think it's Ben. That. I think it's Ben Kingsley. Like, like, well, no, they say it to Kingsley, and then his response is, "No, he didn't." Did he? <laughs> <laughs> that is bizarre. There's another one where Kingsley reacts to Forrest Whitaker. And he says, shut up! And face palms himself uh, <laughs> during that chaotic bit where they're, he doesn't want to open the door. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's one of my favorite reactions to him. Um, oh no, yeah, that's, no, no, that's what he—that's what he's doing. The Danny Taylor, <laughs> get out! <laughs> As if Danny knows if it will get out or not. But yeah, no, Danny's just droning on about obvious things that we know have already happened, and Ben Kingsley tells him to shut up. He's also very annoyed at him in the in the basement sewer. And he's like, "Which way did she go? I know, oh, yeah, this way. Which way did she go? He went this way." And then, yeah, he says there, you're supposed to have extrasensory powers. Which way did yeah. she go? And that's at the end. And Ben Kingsley is still spelling out to the audience that Forrest Whitaker <laughs> has these supposed powers. So <laughs> it's like nothing's gone in at all. I don't know how. Powers many... of deduction is what Forrest needed. Yeah. yeah. Sill breathes oxygen. There will be bubbles in the water. That would have been the big tell. Mm. But anyway, it's all, it's all good fun. I do love Danny's, uh, insights. They are my favorite in the film. He is not o- the only guilty party as far as the obvious exposition. There's a bit where Kingsley asks Madsen if he understands and, uh, Michael Madsen just spells out the entire, uh, you know, premise up to that point. He says, you want us to hunt her down? It's a search and destroy mission. You created a monster. Uh, with a, with a rat from outer space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, th- the whole thing is spelled out there. So it's, it's not Forrest's fault. And, uh, I'm, I'm still team Forrest Whitaker at this point. Uh, but now let's, let's get to the star of the show. Um, because obviously we talked about all these character actors being, um, being cast, uh, probably a way of saving money. It was definitely a way of saving money. It was, it was, um, confirmed by the producer that he cheaped out his ass so he could put his money into visual <laughs> effects. Exactly. And one of the other ways that you cheap out on a cast is you get a complete unknown. Natasha Henstrich, model at the time, 19, which is mental because she doesn't look 19, but then that's maybe, from UK standards, but I mean, she looks ridiculous. She's four years older than Michelle Williams. 
who was 15 when she made it. And Michelle Williams, it's kind of peculiar because she looks the same, uh, but she doesn't sound the same. And then when it cuts out to the shots of Michelle Williams, she's tiny. She's like not even five foot. It's like very, it's bizarre to see her. Like this was almost Dawson's Creek era, wasn't it? But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I hadn't, hadn't heard of Henstridge much at all. Um, I, I remember having a, a copy of Loaded magazine, Kelly Brook in it, but I don't remember being part of the lads mag movement really. Um, I, I'd seen her on Howard Stern. That was my only thing I was aware of. Her. She was plugging Species 2 on Howard Stern. It's, I, I remember her kind of, uh, uh, definitely having a big feature in one of them. I think it would have been around probably Species 2 rather than yeah. Species itself, but, um, it, it's certainly in, in terms of like, if we're trying to discuss why this film kind of was a, as big a hit as it was, the timing of it would be quite crucial just because, uh, I was, I was looking this up cause I was intrigued. Uh, and cause 95 felt like a, like the sort of exactly the right era for, for launching a film just on the basis of having an, a, a new attractive woman in it. Uh, 95 was the same year mm-hmm. as FHM did the 100 sexiest women list. For the first ah, time, so they started doing it right. Okay, well that makes sense. That's a good correlation. And in terms of like uh, essentially just promoting things off the back of uh, here's a, a an attractive woman, have that. I think it's uh, you know it's 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 peak era for it. Yeah, and yeah. we saw that you know with numerous IP. You know, I remember Sarah Michelle Gellar front cover, Halle Berry. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Who, who, you know, Angelina Jolie. So yeah, you're right. Well, that's, yeah, cause, cause one of the things that I won, I didn't know until, uh, revisiting species is that I actually thought Natasha Henstrich was, uh, sort of quote unquote foreign as in <laughs> not, um, as I thought maybe she was from like the Netherlands or something. I also thought that, she was. She's like, got that yeah. look, but mm. I didn't realize she was Canadian. That's yeah. mental. Like yeah. I did, I would never have ever put her down as being like Canadian. She just doesn't read as Canadian. <laughs> no flappy heads. No, no, I'm really kidding. Um, no, just in case we are Canadian listeners, come at me. Uh, it's a poor, out of date Southport joke there. But no, um, I, yeah, I, cause she looks, she looks super exotic. She's absolutely ideal for this. And this is where the now recently seen after many, many years of badgering life force kind of thing comes into yes. play because Henstrich is the life force like gets naked barely any lines of dialogue there's no real dramatic requirement there's one scene where she sort of says i don't even know where i'm from what i'm here to do but you kind of like yeah whatever uh just cut your finger off like there isn't really any sense that that sill's given much dramatic beats beyond the young michelle williams who does nail a bit of empathy Mm. for the creature but once it gets to henstridge it's like nah come on let's let's get to some procreating please i i would say i think she's she's very good in like in in this specific role like i, I you know she's she holds the screen when she's on it oh yeah yeah um, absolutely she uh uh like you said she can convey that kind of like otherworldly uh um kind of the 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 cold intrigue and the, yeah i mean obviously it's it's an inherently sexist thing that she's being all being told to do. Like she's, she is literally objectified, but yeah, I liked her performance. I, I thought she was kind of cool, but um, maybe I'm blinded by the beauty a bit, but I don't really think so. I, I think she's got one of the strongest performances in the film, but I don't know how yeah. much that's, uh, that's saying too much, but yeah, she's, she's up there. Well, I like how aggressive 
she is. Um, and this has got nothing to do with the lack of top, but especially when she's in the, uh, the hot tub with the second douche who mm. reveals himself to be a douche the moment she's like, I want to have a baby. It's like, what? No, 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 never, never, never want to have a child. Turns into a killer real quick. It's good. He kind of announced himself as a douche when he just turned up and said, I've brought you a large plate of fruit and cheese. <laughs> yeah. And also um, the fact that he's in this huge, ridiculous house in the Palisades, like, oh, I just like to come out of here. You just get away from the city. You're like, oh God, you sound like Orlando Bloom in that article recently yeah. that was released yeah. like you are that guy aren't you <laughs> the way he freaked out there do you think that's what the horror and we haven't really talked about the horror but the, the the sci-fi horror aspect of the film is it tapping into a male fear of uh you know a broody women is, is there anything in that do you think well there's a lot of pregnant women in la yeah if you go <laughs> on species like everyone is super chairs. pregnant yeah <laughs> When she buys her wedding dress. I like that opening sequence, the kind of fish out of water stuff. It's like there's, um, the, I think the, the way that they handle her, the amount of screen time she has, uh, uh, the way she's kind of woven through the, 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 the plot, I think is, is one of the better elements of the, of the film. Not just how she plays it, but also how she's kind of deployed. It's never too much. Oh, I wanted more though, Devlin. You know, you know, the bit that I was thinking is when she, so clearly she's got an affinity for TV which reminded me a lot of Gizmo. And I thought, well, okay, she likes likes watching television. She likes watching American television. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it have been more fascinating if they could have almost satirized like Western living and the way that we live our lives? Because they kind of do it, but she just goes straight to the porn channel. And I was like, oh, I would have liked a little bit more... That could be another hangover from the original concept or, or script that was never mm. quite developed. Who knows like what it could have been in, in the hands mm. of a Verhoeven or a John Carpenter. And, uh, you know, if it had just been approached differently, who knows what it, what it could yeah, have been. Yeah. Because it, the, the bit that like got a kind of wry grin and a wry smile out of me was when the guy pops his head up from the sand and is like, come here often. <laughs> and she's like laughing. And I was like, yeah, that's perfect. Cause that is completely ridiculous kitsch yeah. kind of Baywatch nonsense. Hmm. And I would have liked, I would have liked to have like put an episode of Baywatch on and been like, Oh, right. Okay. This, yeah. This is how humans interact. That's she does awesome. um quite a, a cool thing in the, in the club when she talks to douchebag one and she's like, uh, uh, she mimics the other woman's line. The, uh, yeah. I've got a party to go to. And then he's like, Oh, where? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> I've got a party to go to and no one to take me. Where is this party? I don't know. Hench is great and, and that kind of um that kind of falls into HR Giga, right? So yeah. Matt, I know you've got you've because you're a big alien man too, and we obviously were prepping for alien. Well I've I've also been working on my uh Giga impression if you'd like to hear it. Oh yes, please. <laughs> it's like it's a small chicken. <laughs> like a, a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, you know, that's very good. Oh, thanks. I've been working on that for the last, I've, I've been prepping my alien stuff. So yeah, he actually wrote on some of his sketches for, for the species designs, do not copy Scott's alien. Um, yeah. And that's all in the making of. There's lots of stuff on the train. I know you're keen on the train there. I do. Why it's uh, it's it's on so briefly, and and like all of his stuff is used so briefly in the film, and it's such a shame uh, because I think that there there's clearly what happened was that um, so I read a uh, uh, there was a Cine Fantastique, 
uh, article from maybe 96 and it's, it's archived on Giga's, uh, a fan site of HR Giga, I think. And I read this thing and it was, um, every article I read was very good and also very critical of the film. So you had Feldman saying that basically his script was kind of pulled apart a little too much. And then you have Giga saying like, he was uh, uh, called in to do this work and then essentially he just didn't really get on with, with Roger Donaldson. It didn't seem like Roger Donaldson was particularly interested. The communication wasn't there, I think, was one of the problems. Yeah, but how, why, I, I, this, this really does baffle me then. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that Roger Donaldson is a douche, but like, <laughs> surely he's watched Alien or watched an Alien film and, and thought, one of the big standouts, one of the things that makes it endure is the Giga designs. So surely you would be like, let's get this guy on board and let's absolutely exploit him to high heaven. Well, there's a, there's a theory that they wanted his name more than they wanted his designs. Yeah. And like my, my instinct at first was like Giga phoned this one in. He's resting on his laurels and I was getting cross. And then as I, as it went on, and I, I appreciated some of his designs and then looking into it later, particularly the documentary that's on YouTube, we'll put it in the playlist. Um, there was a lot that of a lack of a communication between Donaldson and Giga, but Giga got on very well with, uh, is it Steve Johnson who did the practical effects, uh, who, uh, trivia for you, Dev was married to Linnea Quigley. Holy between shit. 1990 and 1992, the effects guy, Steve Johnson. Um, but, but I, I really, and I know Giga really liked the full body, uh, uh, the, uh, the gremlin boobs, Gally. I know you're a fan mm. of that. The, the full yeah. body animatronic. Uh, and it was only when they went to CG that, um, for, for the predominantly at the end there, that yeah. Giga got a bit upset with what they were doing with his work. I, th- I think like when you hire Giga, you you have to kind of let him loose to a certain degree, but once he settles on something that you like, you've got to keep him on that track mm-hmm. um, because he's he's fully uh, like a mad genius. I, I think yeah. he's, it, he yeah. he can yeah. go off on one and waste an awful lot of time and money. And I think he put some of his own money into um, some of the train. The train's in it for fourteen seconds, and it was like tens of thousands if not more of his own money that went into well that. that was that's that's the big that's the big nightmare fuel imagery it's the one bit of surrealism apart from two alien costumes writhing around in strobe lighting mm. that, that's in the film and it's so brief and it makes no like i was i always keep thinking like connecting the images what does it mean what does it mean basil <laughs> was what i was saying to myself but when when like michelle williams is running running away from a train I was like, she's on a train. The train's got like alien heads that are gnawing. Yeah. Like it's a little kind of crazy. Jaws chewing. Yeah. Like it's some sort of crazy Peter Frampton video. And the real and then, thing, uh, when you see it, the real thing is very phallic as well. Um, right. Yeah. But then it just cuts to some worms. I was like, yeah. <laughs> what's that? Like what the, what the hell's One this? of the examples of a, a lack of communication because of the language barrier was when uh, Giga asked for pickles to come out of uh, Michelle Williams's face when she's looking in the mirror there. And it's that kind of faculty style bubbling yeah. of things under the skin. It yeah. turns out he didn't want pickles. He wanted pimples. <laughs> so when he finally saw it, he was like, what is that? And like all of these mad tentacles were coming out of her, but he just yeah. wanted spots, like something akin to like the demons transformation, right. or, you know, something like that. I would have thought, but 
practically done, you know. Uh, one, one cool thing that happened there was the using the CG for wire removal, which allowed for some of that peculiar, um, transformational stuff that happens to her digital mm. wire removal over practical effects, which I, I'm, I really enjoy, you know, like using CG in that way rather than being completely full body, uh, renderings, which I, yeah. I feel like, you know, that really took me out of it at the end of this one. Mm. Well, I don't know what you guys thought because obviously we're going to talk about, um, the alien creature when we, when we come to that episode. Uh, and obviously Giga's big thing is, uh, is a kind of biomechanical design, mm. uh, blending mechanical structures with biological kind of creatures. He's also, let's just not beat around the bush here. He's into penises. He's into vaginas. He's into kind of sexual imagery. Yeah. He would have made I a thought, fit, right? For the, for well, the I, yeah, but I, I'll be honest with you. This is, this is me like not trying to be funny. Not, you know, I'm not species. We've had a good giggle. I did think the creature design was over-designed. I actually thought it was, um, it was something that kind of bothered me, but maybe it was because of the way that Donaldson chooses to utilize the creature, because you could probably make the same argument of the alien creature, but Scott keeps it in darkness, brief shots, a lot of it's left to the imagination of the audience. There's nothing left to the imagination. You know, Matt's mentioned about the gremlin boobs, because I, I, I messaged you guys offline. I was like, her tits look like the cocoon eggs in gremlins and they are you know they're suitably gross but it, everything just felt super over designed like a head looked like a kind of egyptian god type thing on with, a medusa kind of a thing yeah I mean, yeah a medusa thing but it just because you get to see it full frontal in cgi it completely mm. lost its impact he called it horribly ugly um that was his quote which it's because he he wanted it to have like a kind of grotesque beauty, like all of his his he says all of his art has like it has to be it has to ride that line between like repulsion and attraction. And uh, I think the problem is not so much that he would have had to keep it in the shadows. It's just that I think you can't have such a nuts and bolts thriller director making something which at its core should honestly be a bit perverse and a bit freaky. If you think like um the way Clive Barker shoots stuff in um. Uh, uh, Hellraiser, especially the first one, there's lots of really kind of gross, uh, uh, the same kind of line writing. But Clive Barker himself is kind of a weirdo in a good way. So, you know, he's, uh, he's reveling in it. Whereas it's like Donaldson was embarrassed by it because the rest of the film is so pedestrian looking and kind of ugly that it's really bracing and not in a good way to see this, uh, uh, really kind of florid, imagery just i think you i think you called it devlin like i would have loved to have seen john carbon to take this on you know what i mean or just anyone of that ilk anyone who is is demonstrated in the past because we love roger donaldson now friend of the show but i don't think creepy uncle sci-fi <laughs> yeah creepy uncle i don't think horror sci-fi is is his strong suit and it would have been better to have someone who just had a little bit more visual imagination when it comes down to implementing the creature. But also, as you say, just, just pushing the envelope. Like you've already got the titillation. So why not go full bore and make this like full on gross? I thought he was walking in the footsteps of Ridley Scott a bit. He, he liked the idea of having a Giga, you know, on, to design it, but it, it ended up like a creature from the Black Lagoon metropolis robot kind of a thing at times and then when you only see the arm when the woman is attacked in the bathroom stall it just looks like a xenomorph arm and this was a a, a real source of frustration for for giga he just didn't he felt like these people were just 
um, ripping off Alien. He even felt like the poster and the video box were were ripped off. And uh, Richard Edland is someone else we should mention. We've talked about the CG. He's a, a veteran special effects cinematographer who worked on Species. And, uh, he, he's going on about how, how they're at the, the forefront of technology and this is, this movie is going to change everything. And, uh, when motion capture is concerned, you know, when you look at what happened eventually with the Golem stuff and Andy Circus and all that, it, it did take off. But I think his best work was behind him by this point. It was Ghostbusters. He worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark with the, um, the opening of the, the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff, Poltergeist and Star Wars he'd worked on. But by the time it got to 95, I, I think they were just working with this new technology and they hadn't quite worked out how to make it look great yet, but it was... Well, Matt, it's probably, again, it's probably emblematic that um, some of the other technologies in the film also never really made it, you know, TV monitor thing. A little... A little yeah, Williams has. Um, yeah, a little pull-up screen. Little screen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, credit card scanners. I remember them. They didn't last very long. Uh, you know, little snap, snap and get your credit card. Oh, ready. I don't know, man. You go to Japan, you can still spend money. If you, uh, if you try and buy a drink in a fancy hotel in Japan, you will still get your card with a bit of paper. The click, click thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. Wow. Yeah. And the other thing as well that might not happen anymore is that when there's been a horrible spine move <laughs> in a club, <laughs> I don't think that club's open the next day. I really don't, but it is it, it is a species. Do you reckon um screaming bongo guy had come back for a shift? <laughs> oh, I love him. <laughs> well, we we were talking, didn't we, offline about some of the um like tangential links to other films that we've discussed in the erotica series and that club looks like basic instinct light. You know, Paul Verhoeven esque with the uh you know full full male leotard dancing i think it's called the id isn't it uh and i think uh, michael bay would be a regular there too with the the, the swing <laughs> the kind of sexual swing that's going on yeah and the body suited ballerinas so yeah it's uh it's it's a shame and uh i guess that's one of the one of the, the the sort of the the disappointments is that there's there's a lot of really good ideas there visually and uh i think if you look, the more you look into Giga's original designs, also Matt, right? Not just your impression, but doesn't his voice remind you an awful lot of Peter McNichol in Ghostbusters too? <laughs> yeah. Ah. Vigo. If, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything you are doing here is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very close. When you were saying that, uh, the, 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 that she's got gremlin boobs, when she's giving birth, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the voice of her giving birth is Frank Welker. And he's doing a gremlin voice. <laughs> See if you can get a little audio clip of uh, Frank Welker squeaking away. The ending in particular just felt so derivative and reductive. Mm, and the fact yeah. that, like... It just burns to death like Terminator 2, Aliens oh, 3. Oh, Giga hated that. He hated that fire was used. He said that the head had to explode. So eventually mm-hmm. they went with fire and then head exploding. So Yeah. Lazy, lazy last line as well oh, by Madsen for the cool. old the old zinger, wasn't it? <laughs> so what did he just well, say? Like, he says, I can't even remember the line. Let go, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. It, originally it was bitch. 
and they changed it because they felt it was too close to Ripley. So uh, they wow. spent hours, yeah. apparently, according to the documentary, coming up with a different curse word for the end. Duck your head! Let go, you motherfucker! I thought you drank your last Long Island iced tea there, Dan. Yeah, I thought we all had. Oh dear, species. I think we've. I think we've. We may have done species now, but I'll. Um, I'll ask guys before we get to our final thoughts and whether or not we. I mean, it could be difficult to recommend the film after we've just <laughs> ripped it a new one. Um, but but any favorite scenes, any favorite moments? I've got one in particular, but I'll start with you, Devlin. Anything that we haven't mentioned that the audiences should be aware of um, in case they do want to watch Species next week on our recommendations? Uh, I don't know if there's anything we didn't really, uh, we didn't already cover. Um, I, I think we've probably uh, been a little hard on it in general. <laughs> but um, I do think that there are some like very fun and effective scenes. Uh, uh, in their own way. Um, I, I think the, um, the, uh, the transformation or the, the whole kind of Syl and Alfred Molina sequence is kind of, uh, that's the sort of trashy and glorious <laughs> combination that you actually want to see. And like, it's, it's where you want to see this kind of film end up eventually. So that's kind of fun. And Molina, Molina's expression is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's expression. And I love the way when he's like, Oh, that was, that was fine. I mean, it's very, it's very fantastic. <laughs> I'll just, uh, I'll just pop the extractor fan on, get a three draft going. Oh. oh, I enjoyed that immensely. Oh, I felt it. What? started what started life oh, oh my darling girl I, I, I know in some cultures women believe they know the exact moment of conception but really don't you believe me feel yeah how about you Matt um I think we've already talked about it my favorite scene is the uh tell me it's going to stop growing Dan <laughs> uh, where they're growing the new alien and um Kingsley just gets progressively madder and starts yelling and face palming himself. <laughs> and, uh, Forrest Whitaker is, is <laughs> droning on about the protocol. And it also features my favorite line, uh, which is totally inane. Um, we have to follow protocol. What protocol? The protocol by which we're following for this experiment, <laughs> which is sums up the script for me. I think a few more passes were necessary. Uh, Gally, how about you? I didn't catch that. I'm gonna, oh man, I'll have to watch it again for that line. Um, for me, it's, uh, it's the reason why I don't think Donaldson should have, uh, helmed the film. It's the numerous hilarious jump scares. Um, so two in particular, Forrest Whitaker is out the back of the club because it's a bit smoky and, um, <gasps> and uh, just so, cause I'm thinking about like, uh, the third, the third who, so just for those that don't know, the third, Third assistant director is the one that deals with the, uh, the background artists, uh, and the way that the two homeless people <laughs> jump out from the back of the, uh, back of the bin 
And then slowly, the, the funny bit is not the jump scare. It's the way that they slowly retreat back to their position, which <laughs> yes. just makes me laugh every <laughs> single <laughs> time. <laughs> they're like, like uh, they're like in a computer game. It is, little... it is, it's a computer <laughs> game. They, they uh. literally just jump up, go ah. And then, and then slowly retreat back down to whence they came. <laughs> I was, when I was watching that, I was thinking, man, this is some shitty homeless guy acting. You really need to get friend of the show, Robert McGaffey, in there because that is, that's going to show you how to be a creep, uh, 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 creepy homeless. <laughs> if we ever get a remake of Species, uh, a beat for beat remake, uh, yep. we will get our good friend of the show, Robert McCafferty, to be the homeless guy. It, just even to be like, they, he stole my pads, something. Yeah. Um, but no, they don't, they don't even do that and then the second one is a uh, killer squirrel jump scare yeah. which yes. is truly glorious because uh you know mark helgenberger really does sell it she's like fucking squirrel and it's just, I didn't it's know up there with raccoon witness for it is, it is uh, animal appearances it's in the hall of fame it really is in the hall of fame of uh when animals attack so uh, yeah, it was it was really fun. Um, so they're my yeah they're my favourite moments and species of which there are many. I guess the big question that I don't know if we've answered yet, and I don't know if we will be able to, uh, because we are just three laymen watching shit for, for our own amusement. Um, but this film was a. Uh, a hit by any measurable standards. It was a, uh, what a budget of 30 something for a million around that point. Uh, pulled in well over a hundred million domestic us only. Uh, you put in worldwide figures, you put in, obviously we all watched it after the fact on video. So probably with video rentals, video sales, TV rights It's still on TV. Now it's still on Netflix UK right now. I'm sure it's probably doing quite uh, a robust business for them. Uh, why is it that this film, which we have just spent, uh, the best part of two hours <laughs> dismissing as, uh, a bit shit, why was it such a hit? And why is it like remained in people's memories so strongly? Is it just boobs? I guess is the, uh, is the title of this section. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Rewatching it. Um, obviously I'm coming at it from, you know, 20 years removed. Um, a lot older. My, uh, my palate is a little bit more sophisticated now, but I will say, and I'm just going to probably walk into my summary here, but I probably think that this is just the right end of just good, dumb fun. Like, I think it's got the, the premise we've all said, I think is quite strong. And it also at that point in 95 was absolutely, you know, topic of choice for big studio fair. You know, I, I reeled off a, a load of them and they were just off the top of my head. I'm sure if I Googled sci-fi, alien films in 1990 in the 1990s i'd have an absolute slew and they'd all be probably big hits certainly big budgets big directors hits um but you know i think the promise of like you say that fhm this unknown star who is guaranteed to get them out because the taglines are telling you this um i i think that's probably probably where it's sat and maybe just a good date night movie you know like you could just go Obviously now I think most, most women, if it were to be a boy and a girl going out, would probably say, can we watch something a little bit less fucking dumb and male? But I think at that point it would have just been a good date movie. Kind of screams of that Friday night horror, horror film crowd going to it. I think there's a certain amount of it is born out of eighties and nineties aliens visiting earth stuff. Like you said, Gally, it's sort of, it's 
zeitgeisty in that kind of way that that stuff was still hanging around but i don't think that's why it was successful i think an alien ripoff with boobs is basically why (laughs) it it, it taps into uh the lads mag stuff uh i think she was the henstridge was the way the movie was sold it wasn't sold to me because i didn't i didn't feel like the, the cover was particularly alluring i didn't know the synopsis of the movie but if i'd seen some trailers and things like that i think i probably would have been into it Mm. um just like alien was born out of you know the success of star wars and things like that you know this film is kind of born out of some of the things that came before it but i I do think it was kind of cynically designed in a way they latched on to some stuff in the script that could be exploited i would i would honestly love to see someone take another crack at this uh no pun intended for madsen ass in in my summary i was going to mention it but i'll do it now there's there's a movie called under the skin with um, scarlett johansson directed by jonathan glazer and it's uh, a lot of what you were just saying there, Gally, is within the film. There's nudity in it. Um, she's, you know, lovely to look at, but it's it's based within, you know, a, a darker sci-fi approach. Um, it it it's kind of a masterpiece, really. I think it's one of the best films I've I've seen recently. Um, it uses sex as a weapon and seduction, and there's an alluring alien creature posing as hu- a human female but it does it in this beautiful, artistic, terrifying way. And I know it's not strictly a a remake of something like this. It's more akin to, you know, Man Who Fell to Earth and some films like that. But, um, that, that's definitely worth a watch if you, if you want something a bit more credible, but with the, with these kind of themes. Yeah. And I think, uh, the other one as well is, uh, Alex Garland's Ex Machina. Yeah. Similar, similar types of themes going on there. But what we're, what, what I'm, what I'm really, fighting for is a kind of not straight remake but there is something fun about the schlockiness of species that that kind of hooked me and clearly hooked audiences in 95 and it can t- I, whether it endures i don't know all right then team well i think we've uh we've discussed species long enough so we will uh well i'll invite matt you first will do you recommend Species for our listeners? And have you any final thoughts on it? Well, I'll preface this by saying that my second viewing of Species was more fun because I was more attuned to the the daftness of it all and all the things we'd been discussing in the chat prior to today, all the Forrest Whitaker shenanigans. Um, so this is probably more damning than it should be, but I think it started at its inception, at, you know, at the core of the idea, there's some good intentions there. Um, but I don't believe Roger Donaldson's heart is in this one. Uh, I don't think he has a burning desire to tell the story. Uh, I do like Dante's Peak, which works for me. I, I think some of the other things he's, he's done, I'm not really a fan of. Cocktail was a flop for me. Um, I think uh, positives, uh, it can be read as a dumb, smart sci-fi about you know, a powerful feminine desire to reproduce at all costs. Um, for some reason, this is terrifying to uh, Dennis Feldman. I think we'd have to talk to his psychiatrist um, to really get an idea of what he's trying to say here, because some of it does get a bit lost. Um, there's probably a male fear that can be tapped into somewhere about broody women. Um, uh, I think... You know, the more docile and controlled line hints a kind of a meager effort to say something, but I don't think it's a feminist film. Uh, in societal terms, I think it's interesting how a beautiful woman interacts with the world and how she interacts with men. 
and what transpires. Uh, but again, I think I agree with Gally that a, a remake could be more interesting if it was done well. I don't think this is doing anything meticulous on any level. I think it's more concerned with putting models in underwear and then stripping them out of it. Um, it's, it's a money spinner built around Henstridge in the nude. And, uh, you know, anyone reading deeply into it as a feminist piece or even a misogynistic piece is probably really reaching. It's a case of like that post-structuralism again at work and how we, you know, we can come up with what we think it was doing. Somebody said in a review that it was a comment on women in the 90s, but I really don't buy into that. Uh, I was shocked how seriously people take it. Um, I, I think it's quite a cynical, um, vacuous approach because I think they're, they're, they're really just aiming for the sex cells method. I don't think there's much of art, artistic value going on. Um, I think it's a film with grand schemes. Uh, it's an okay idea. And some really interesting Giga designs, but it achieves very little. Didn't live up to the premise for me. Uh, it depends on what you're looking for, but I personally wouldn't recommend this one. I think there's better ways to spend your time on a Friday or Saturday night with a few drinks. Although, although unless you're playing the Forest Whitaker drinking game, that would be quite fun. Uh, and I won't recommend Species 2 either because that was dreadful. It was worse than the first one. So, um, I'll pass over to, uh, Chris next. I'd have to agree with the vast majority of your points there, Matt. Um, although my overall takeaway despite it all is I actually enjoyed it quite a lot, probably quite a lot more than you did by the sounds of it. Um, I didn't actually watch it for the podcast specifically when I watched it recently. I ended up watching it because my, um, partner and I had put aside time to, to, to actually watch Alien, but it got a bit late and I didn't think I'd have the attention span needed for something like that, 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 that serious. But I didn't want to waste one of my few available like movie watching slots on an evening, and I figured what with the uh, HR Giga connection that maybe it could like in some extremely esoteric way count as research. Um, so I hadn't seen it in years. Like I said, pretty fond memories of it, and I was immediately struck by just how much dumber it was than I remembered. But um, but it was really fun. Uh, it's a shame the more interesting ideas in the script, like um, as you pointed out, there's this huge diversity of subtext that you could have applied to the story. You could read into them, even the story as it stands. But, um, and the way Dennis Feldman talks about his script is that, uh, it was at some point freighted with these ideas, at least at some point in the development process. Um, one interesting one he had was talking about, um, this, the idea of a colonization, like a species colonizing by the idea of themselves, not by physically traveling and conquering, but by sending like the scientific essence of themselves at the most basic cellular level across space and at first assimilating and then supplanting a, a, a population. It's like a fascinating idea, which I don't think I've seen it before laid out like that, although I'm sure there's there's uh, probably some of the more hard sci-fi writers have experimented with it in years before this, but it was a new one on me and as a concept, I actually think it's, it's pretty brilliant, but um, yeah, there's something to it, but of course that's not this film. Like it's, it's a shame they didn't go with that original premise of it being like a lone mad scientist, which, um, is something Vincenzo Natale took as a bit of a jump off point in splice. Not so much a lone scientist, a couple, but 
you know, the idea is these scientists going rogue and playing with things beyond their ken, you know, and like a classic Frankenstein style that they bear the brunt of their transgressions. And it's a mix of like sci-fi and sexuality and genetics and horror and what it means to be human. And it is a shame that there's not more of that in this film, given the meat you could have put on those bones, but it's not what they were at all interested in making. Um, it's a shame we didn't have somebody on board like a Natalie or, or like a Benson and Moorhead who did like the endless, um, somebody who, who wanted to engage with and say these things, even faint in the direction of saying these things about the, the kind of questions. But, um, the filmmakers here, probably chiefly Frank Mancuso Jr. and Roger Donaldson, uh, far more interested in mid nineties multiplex sort of Friday night filler. It's kind of trash with some sci-fi set dressing, but nothing really under the hood. It's, it's also a shame they, they sidelined Giga so much when he'd obviously put so much into the production. And if you'd let him loose a bit and indulged him, maybe you'd have ended up with something a bit madder, maybe something that would have stood the test of time a little better and been pretty unique. But I think by doing so, you probably lose that Friday night multiplex crowd and given what a massive hit this was, they probably took the right tack on that. Even if I say it's a, a shame for me at least, but. It's it's still that kind of lunk-headed dialogue and like inexplicably inconsistent performances and general air of mild ineptitude that actually turned this into a bit of a sort of trashy treat, all told. Uh, I don't express express very mild shame in telling you both that I would almost definitely watch this one again. Uh, Matt, I'm with you on Species 2. It's got awful uh, and quite hard to get through. Uh, Species 3 is essentially a TV movie, which you may know the type. Uh, it's it stars this guy Robin Dunn and if you've ever subjected yourself to any of the following uh, you will know his face who's in Cruel Intentions 2 The Skulls 2 and American Psycho 2 so that gives you a uh, an indication of the level you're operating at there and this guy he specializes in absolute shit so Species 3 is very hard to get through Species 4 uh, I couldn't even get through, but uh, despite myself and everything I literally just said sounding horribly negative, I'm going to give a very tentative, but not even that tentative recommendation for species f- for me. It is pretty awful, but I really did have quite a lot of fun watching it. How about you, Gally? Well, um, I, I'll not add any more uh, fuel to the fire. Uh, I'll also note that at the beginning of the episode, I, I let you know that my relationship, uh, had suffered a massive, massive <laughs> disruption in the force. So I'll not be, I'll not be returning to species, certainly with Danielle. Um, I may watch it again. Should I need a Monday or Tuesday night, um, bit of trash to get me through the, the early, the early gestations of the week. Um, because I think that's where it lives, isn't it really? I mean, it's two hours long and it really is quite breezy. Um, I was fascinated to just see with credits. It's, I think it's an hour and 52. Um, impressive really, because it really does fly by despite lots of casual pauses in the hotel lobby. So it was very, yeah. I'm with you, Devs. I think the wildness of the characterizations, the stupidity of the dialogue. Thank you, Matt, for that protocol one. That will live with me forever, actually. That is quite truly something special. Um, and it, the fact that as well that this was such a huge success because it does cheapen it if it's also an obscure cult hit. But no, species like for the, for many, many cinema lovers, that they know species. So the fact that everyone saw this, 
you know, guilty pleasure territory normally, but that can be a little bit of a cruel underhand compliment. I enjoyed it as a drinking game, as a bit of fun, watching it on my own, probably never again, watching it with you guys. And I'll recommend it for listeners with friends. Just keep an eye on Preston's <laughs> crouching, play, <laughs> jumping onto bonnets, uh, keep an ear out for Forrest Whitaker. You can't possibly not, uh, for obvious <laughs> insights. Ben Kingsley just drops out of the film for a bit, comes back to get killed, which is always fun. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those weird and wonderfuls, isn't it? I remember watching Species 2 and the only thing I remember is the astronauts in it act like teenagers and they are so horny. It's outrageous. Um, that's the only thing I remember. Um, but I'm glad that you've told me not to bother because I'm definitely not bothered. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's going to be a mild recommend if only to maintain some integrity for when we discuss an actual film in Alien. Uh, for UK, you can currently watch it on Netflix. However, get in there quick because I noticed that it will be removed on the 1st of April. So um, pretty much the day that this has be released, watch it. Otherwise, it's gone. <laughs> you can, I'm sure you can rent it on uh, on Amazon Prime. And if not, on all streaming services, this one will be available. It's, it's widely available, isn't it, this one? And it also does the rounds on like, ITV4 in the UK. Um, and I'm sure had I done any actual work, I could have found out where it's currently streaming for free in the US. Probably Hulu or what? Well, yeah, in the USA, I've got that one. It's on Hoopla and Hulu uh, at the moment. And you can rent it on all the usual places, Amazon, Fandango, Apple, Google, YouTube. There you go. So you can't get away from And in Korea, you should just get a VPN like I did. I watched it on the UK Netflix. Get yourself a VPN and do, do it. Very like nice. Very nice. This episode sponsored by... VPN. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. not, definitely not. Oh, I hate it when they do that. <laughs> Aren't you glad, listeners, that we don't do that? Too? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, so if you did, thank you very much, Matt, for giving me a little segue. If you did enjoy our discussion, I mean, it was more like a, I don't know, it felt like the riot act or a kind of charge sheet, wasn't it, really, of uh, species. But if you enjoyed our, uh, if you enjoyed our discussion on species, then please do uh, like, subscribe, and uh, leave us a review. And then more people can uh, can come to the show. Well, we'll uh, we'll say our goodbyes then, team. Uh, I've got a party to go to, and no one to take me. It's Gally in Glasgow signing out. I like these cups of tea. It's Devlin in London. Good morning, Jill. Thank you for taking care of my cat. <laughs> it's Matt in South Korea. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Please stop.
Dick Snake.